0: Coming up next on the Witness the World podcast, the road to recovery.
1: Everything that happens in your life can be either good or bad. It's what you think about it that matters, right? Try to look at it from the positive side. What's the good in it? There's some good in it. And that's not the thing that everything's like happy-go-lucky, rose-colored glasses. There's some stuff that's just raw and horrible, right? But 99% of stuff you deal with, you can always think about some good stuff that will come from it. What's the positive you can gain from this?
0: The content here is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any content here should not be construed as financial, medical, or any other type of professional advice. Good day, everyone. Welcome to episode 23 of the Witness World Podcast. My name is Ben Choi, and today we'll be covering a local Vancouver, Canada story. We're pleased to bring on Dan McQueen. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Ben, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on, Dan. So you've had quite an interesting journey over the past nine years or so, I've listened to some of your guest spots on a variety of different podcasts, and it's easy to say that you're a great comeback story, but I think the deeper message that you want to highlight is the fact that everyone, no matter their background or their circumstances, everyone can overcome a lot more adversity than they probably realize. So to kick things off, I wonder if you could share a little bit about, you know, nine years ago, how you were living your best life. You were traveling around the world, studying and working abroad, and then life threw you a bit of a curveball.
1: Yeah, thanks, Ben. So thanks for those words and for the uh, research you've done on my previous podcast. It's very kind of you. My story takes place in London, England, jolly old, in 2014. I had moved there after a master's in Sweden, so I had been traveling around Europe and decided to keep the party going a bit longer. And worked in tech for a company called Hootsie, which is based in Vancouver, as you know. Um, was working there for about probably for about two years. I started having these headaches that were getting horrible, like blinding headaches. I was on the tube one day and my vision blacked out. Like I couldn't see anything. Made my way to the platform and you know, it came back after a few minutes, but decided to go back to Any to tell him, hey, there's something wrong here. Uh, they ran the same tests and they they came to the same conclusion. They thought it was vertigo, so they sent me home. But on the way out, they told me the headaches were to continue. I could always get my eyes checked in an optometrist, which you know. Okay, sure, go get your eyes checked in an optometrist. The next day the headaches were persistent, like blinding, raging headaches. I was like, I'm in the at the bottom of this, I'm going to the optometrist. I was midway through the exam and the optometrist, Mr. Batali, stopped the exam. Just 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 stops it, excuses himself from the room, and comes back a few minutes later with a sealed envelope. He tells me to go directly to Moorfield's Hospital, which I did. Well, tell a lie, Ben. Tell a lie. I did not go directly there. I stopped at home first to grab a book, a bite to and a phone charger, and then I made my way to Moorfield's Hospital. They ran the same test there, then nestled me up to Charing Cross Hospital. It turns out... I had a dangerous build of the pressure in my brain caused from a non-cancerous cyst in my head. Turns out I required emergency brain surgery tomorrow. Turns out my world's about to change altogether. So on the horn of the folks in Canada dropping the old emails like, hey, guess what? I'm having brain surgery tomorrow. Things escalated rather quickly. I was on the operating table. My mom was flying to London. Something went horribly wrong and I had a massive bleed in the brain, a brain hemorrhage. And the cyst burst when they operated. So my mom lands and finds I'm in critical condition. I was in a coma for four weeks, but was in and out of consciousness for months after this. Things were dicey, touch and go. When all was said and done, I was learning how to walk, talk, and smile again. So it all kind of kicked off for me in 2014 there, Ben. I see. So that's a lot to
0: unpack there, Dan. And... I think maybe we want to kind of touch on the fact that, okay, it's been quite a recovery journey for you. And just so maybe you can just take us back to like when you woke up from the coma, like, like where was, like where was your mind at? And could you communicate with the staff there, the nurses, the doctors? Like were you able to move any part of your body? Because brain surgery, that's, that's a huge thing for anyone to go through. And just wondering, yeah, well, if you could just paint the picture for us there.
1: When I was in a coma, I had a feeding tube put down my, my uh, throat to feed me, right? Because I wasn't able to eat food. And I would rip it out. Or I don't know if I was in a coma or outside of the coma, but I was ripping it out. And it got to the point where I'd rip it out maybe three, four times. They put mittens around my hands. So I couldn't rip it out anymore. But, I, you know, I'd work at this for, for hours and days to get my hands free. And then eventually I'd rip it out, rip out this cord. They put it back down. They'd have to x-ray me to make sure it was in my stomach and not my lungs. And they'd continue feeding me again. But that was my first memory from like the hospital was that kind of nomads that no no man's land between the living and the and the dying. But I woke up from the from the coma to see my mom, dad, and brother around the bed. And I'm trying to speak, but I can't talk because I had a tracheotomy removed and I had my voice box I hadn't come back yet. So I pointed at my brother and I go, you get me a pen and paper, please. And I write in the pen and paper, I go, get me out of here and i showed him and i go yeah this make this happen please and he's going yeah but what do you want me to do you're not going anywhere like i was in the hospital for months after this but i was thinking you know in london like this may not be covered like this is expensive let's get out of here where we can i couldn't walk at the stage i couldn't talk i was going nowhere so that's the first abrupt memory i had of coming back from a conscious unconscious state and meet my mom, brother and dad for the first time in, uh, you know, a few months or at least a month or so.
0: I see. So you were saying that you were in that state for months. So you obviously got to a point you were recovering after a few months and then you kind of moved on to the next stage of your recovery, which uh, you know, is documented that you were in a facility to kind of learn how to walk again. Was that kind of the next stage there? And maybe you can just tell us a little bit about how you got to that part.
1: Yeah, well, I was in the ICU for a little while in Charing Cross, and then I moved to the regular ward. And then eventually I made my way to the Wolfson Rehab Center after about three months from the initial brain hemorrhage. So to the Wolfson Rehab Center, to learned how to walk again. So I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair for the first three, four months because my leg had atrophied at an angle when I was in a coma. So I had to gently stretch out my leg, which was, well, nothing really gentle about it, Ben. It was quite uh, quite painful. I wore a splint over my left leg. And the splint was supposed to gently tease out the muscle to get me back to, like, flexibility range. Now, the first night I wore the splint through the night, no issue, no stress, this will be easy, I thought. This will be easy. The second night, after 20 minutes, it was painful. After 30 minutes, it was dreadful. After 40 minutes, it's unbearable. I take, I buzz the nurses, we've got to take this off my leg, I can't deal with the pain. They take it off, but I tell her, you know, tomorrow we're doing this for an hour. We're doing this for an hour, right? So I'm like, I'm gung-ho. We're gonna do this for an hour. I'm a walker. I can handle this. I thought that I can handle the pain. The next night they wrap up my leg. They give me the clicker, the nurse call button, they go from the troll to Wilson ward. Now the Wilson ward was an L shape. So short on this side, longer on this side. Okay, short on this side, longer on this side. And they leave me in that hospital room that smells like only a hospital room can smell. Sterilized, sanitized. It's clean, but you're wondering what sort of sins have you Covering up for with your scent. After 10 minutes, the leg's painful. After 20 minutes, the leg's dreadful. After 30 minutes, the leg is unbearable. It's like a rat's nest has been descending on my leg and it's expanding in pain every few minutes. I start passing the clicker back and forth, trying to extract myself from the pain. The clicker's how I call the nurses, right? My lifeline to, like, like humanity. I've got double vision from the first brain injury, Ben, which means... um. I see two of you. She says, I see two of this clicker. I'm passing this back and forth. As the pain ratchets up, my throws get more enthusiastic. So eventually, I drop the clicker, and it lands on the hard linoleum floor. I look over the edge of the bed. I see the clicker there lying on the floor looking back at me. If I can only get to that clicker. I can stop this pain, right? Only problem was, the clicker was three and a half feet down in hard linoleum which I thought was about a 50-50 chance of me breaking my arm if I dropped down and grabbed it. A coin flip, not the best odds. So I changed tack. I'm reaching at my splint, trying to undo it, but it's then up at the ankle, not at the hip. I can't reach that far. I'm not that flexible. I'm yelling in the ward, help, help. the ward was a wolf, and it was an L-shape, right? Short on this side, long on this side, short on this side, long on this side. They're the far end of the ward. They can't hear me yell for help. I decided I'm gonna drop down and grab the clicker because that's my number one problem right now is the splint on my leg. I can't bear another minute with the splint. I'm willing to risk the arm breaking to get the splint off my leg. So I lower myself off the edge of the bed and I crash down the heap at the yard sale, blankets, wires, cables, it's all a go. It's all a go, man. The arm, the arm holds and I hammer the clicker. Expecting the nurses to come burst in the room to come to my rescue. They kind of stroll in five minutes later. What are you doing the flow, love? It's my attempt at a very poor British accent, excuse me. I tell him, you know, let's not worry about that. Let's get splint off my leg, please. I'll tell you all about it. It's not what happens to you, but how you respond to it that matters, right? The reason why I'm telling you that story is I learned three lessons from this experience, Ben. The first and probably most important was let's not pass the flicker back and forth. It's a pretty self-evident one. Uh, sometimes I got to touch the stove and know if it's hot. The second one was let's always do the splint tip at the hip, not at the ankle. That way I can undo do this should this happen going forwards. And the third and probably most profound learning I've had from this experience is let's always, from this moment forward, to be solutions-oriented. Focus on how you can resolve your issue, not what your issue is. Focus on how you can fix your issue, not what your issue is. How do I fix my issue? I get the clicker. How can I get the clicker? You got to drop down and get the clicker. And with everything in life now and solutions-oriented, solutions-based thinking, I'm not worried what the problem is, how can I fix it? And then afterwards, I look back to figure out how to avoid this going forwards. So that's a long way of saying, Ben, it was a bit of an adventure. Uh, Wilson Rehab Center and Charing Cross. It was difficult. It was arduous. It was the fight of my life, man.
0: I see. So didn't hear that story in your other podcast. I did hear the story where you were in walking around the neighborhood and you were kind of getting bumped around and kind of mentioned it wasn't necessarily the best environment to go through the rehab, but you thought that, you know, something clicked in in your mindset and then you kind of switched around and say, hey, this, this is a tough neighborhood, then I can kind of, if I can get through this, you can kind of get through anything similar to your challenge there with the clicker. so. Just wanted to ask you now, I mean, today, uh, where are you at with like your recovery? Are you 100% thereabouts and uh, what can or can you not do?
1: Yeah, thanks, Ben. So that story is about learning to walk in Tooting Broadway. I can share that story if you want as well, Ben. Would that be helpful for your audience?
0: Sure. think we can get a little slice of that. Yeah.
1: All right, cool. It's a short story. I'll be quick with it. It's like under two or three minutes. So Wilson Rehab Centre where I was in rehab was in Tooting Broadway, which is in South London. Let me paint the scene for you in case you've not been. South London, Tunbridge Bravo is an area they call up and coming, which means it's hectic, dirty, hectic, busy, loud sirens, drugs, gangs. It's a full-on experience. I walk with a cane, walk with an eye patch on Bambi on ice after four months in a wheelchair. I turn the corner to walk on Tunbridge Bow for the first time after four months in a wheelchair. Immediately get slammed into by someone. You know, I stagger back a few feet. Someone scurries past me on the right-hand side. I thought I was done with the rats. Someone had been stabbed the sidewalk back here. I'm thinking, this is a pretty wild place to not how to walk. After a few days of this, I was thinking, this is the worst place to learn how to walk in the world. Can't they see I'm trying to walk here? Can't they see I'm trying here? And then one day, my perspective shifted. Maybe this isn't the worst place to learn how to walk in the world. Maybe this is the best. If I can walk here, I can walk anywhere. The tune probably didn't change, right, Ben? We went from the worst to the best in my mind, and my mood reflected that. What are you looking at in your life you're convinced is the worst? Convinced is the absolute worst. Hey, maybe it is. Maybe you can find a way to turn down the suck a little bit. Maybe you can find a way to shift your perspective a little bit. The reason why I'm telling you that story is you can change the way you look at the world. And when you do, oftentimes your world changes. Now, to answer your question about my, my prognosis now, Ben, I've had surgery in the eyes maybe two months ago to try and correct double vision, which I still have. I'm sorry to say I did not correct double vision. It's now adjusted the vision I see, which is a bit of a knock. I'll be honest with you. It's not the easiest to deal with because I was used to my vision like this the whole time. And now it's like this a little bit. Nine years of getting useless, and now it's shifted on me a little bit. My dad asked me, you know, do you regret having the surgery? And I rattled off a clear response like, yeah, it's changed everything. But looking back and reflecting back on it now, I, I can say with, with whole honesty that no, I don't regret the surgery at all. I took a step. I took a step to make a change, to take it, to improve something, and I took a chance. And it's that mindset that is so important for you and your listeners to take on board that you got to take that step, take the chance, take the step no matter what happens. A bit of an unknown situation we're stepping into here. I'll be honest; the the measurements were a bit guesswork from my perspective. I think it's better this way. Yeah, it looks a bit better this way. And it didn't backfire entirely, but it didn't fix the res- the issue, which is a bit of a frustrating point. But it's um, it's a step that I do again. And I'm I'm glad I did it because it just shows the mindset you need to take on board to improve and, and refine your vibe. Uh, to address your other question about my rehab now. Look, I'm never going to be fully healed. I'm 75% now. I think the battery tops out at 75% and that's where it caps caps off at. Battery, fatigue, all cap off at 75%. Below 50, I'm less pleasant. Below 30, I'm a bit of a prick. I got to recharge the battery. I to recharge the battery by taking a meditation break or taking a nap. Sleep and rest are the most important part of my vibe. I walk now. I can walk now, which is, which is great. Vision is still double, which is not ideal. Impulsive, a bit emotional, a bit direct, all involved, like I've got an uh, um, inferiority complex and also superior, superiority conference, it's a bit of a vibe I've got going here. Brain injury is kind of a wild time, right? It's not like um, no brain injury is the same as like a thumbprint. And I'll never be through this entirely. I'm always going to have linear, linear facts, but every day arm up with the same intentionality and a routine that sets me up for success for the day. And that's how I combat the day and combat tomorrow is by that routine. And I kind of go through that day in, day out. So that's kind of where I'm at now, Ben.
0: Thanks for sharing that, Dan. So yeah, you talked about like routine and uh, yeah, just kind of staying, I guess, consistent with what you're doing. And I guess my next question is, you know, for the people out there, you do a lot of motivational speaking and, you know, you've come a long way clearly and what would you tell people that are, you know, in a rut right now, you know, kind of going through a negative loop and, uh, you know, they hear your story and like, what advice do you have or any suggestions that uh, you can give them to, you know, change things up and kind of improve where they're at today, because uh, tomorrow can always be a better day.
1: Yeah, thanks, Ben. So I'm actually speaking to more of the Delta, DSM Delta, the Delta Minister- Managerial Service or Society of Delta. So shout out to Delta. But yeah, the, the through line of my talk that I'll share with you and your audience is, is quite simple. If you take nothing away from my talk, my perspective, my, my vibe, my hacks, everything else, I've got this one through line that I carry through the talks. It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. I'll say that again. It's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. And that's not mine. That's Epictetus, a, a Stoic philosopher. If you could internalize that and take that on board, you're off to the races because... Nothing really, like, what are you going to come at me with now that I can't overcome and deal with? Like, it's not what happens to you, but how you respond to it that matters, right? So like everything in my life now, can I control this? Yes, no. Respond in the appropriate way. If you can internalize that and take that on board, you're in a good way, Ben.
0: Got it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a good take there. And I wanted to actually ask you a little bit about, uh, you mentioned some other people that I guess I brought you some inspiration on some of your other podcasts and also on your LinkedIn profile. You recently posted uh, something on, uh, for Jocko Wilnick, some people in the personal development space will know about him and also David Goggins. There's a video called Good, and it basically kind of highlights the fact that Whether things that happen to you are good or bad, you can always look at it in a good way and it can teach you lessons. And it's important to challenge yourself and also, yeah, do look at the uncomfortable things and kind of embrace them. And I just wonder, yeah, if you could just talk a little bit about that and how, I mean, you've been in an uncomfortable situation all your life and how much that has, you know, helped your mindset, help grow and help others hear that and kind of uh, move their life forward.
1: Yeah, thanks, Ben. So that video good that I posted on LinkedIn the other day was quite a quite a good video to have. It's this idea that like no matter what happens in your life, there's always some good that's gonna come from it. And it's always looking at the bright side and so many words. Jocko willing's a pretty big discipline equals freedom kind of guy. He believes this with his whole soul and his heart, like that no matter what happens, there'll be some good that comes with it, right? So I was going to the cafe in London, okay? My personal example is a little less dramatic than Jocko's, but like I'm turning the corner, walking to the cafe, and my headphones go, power down. And instantly, I think, good. I'm close by the house. I can go back and get the charger and recharge the headphones so I can go back with a charged pair of headphones. I can bring them to the cafe. Had I been in the cafe and they died there, I would have been SOL with the headphones for the whole time I was there. But because I'm so close, I can go back and recharge them up. That mindset of good, like, if you just shift your perspective, like, everything that happens in your life can be either good or bad. It's what you think about it that matters, right? Try to look at from the positive side. What's the good in it? There's some good in it, and that's not to say that everything's like happy-go-lucky rose-colored glasses. There's some stuff that's just raw and horrible, right? But 99% of the stuff you deal with, you can always think about some good stuff that will come from it. What's the positive you can gain from this? How can you shift your perspective? And look at the good. Jocko Willing's be part of this vibe. David Goggins also as well. I've got um, a big part of David Goggins that I talk about is um his his Goggins that he dives into. So David Goggins. Worf's in this guy called Goggins when he does hard stuff. I've kind of taken this on Worf myself. My guy's Danny Mac. My nickname's Danny Mac. When I gotta do hard stuff, like a podcast, like the keynote tomorrow, I'll be turning into Danny Mac before I jump on stage. He's charismatic, dynamic, dynamic charming, fearless, relentless. Like, he's, he's everything that I want to be. That guy, Danny Mac,'s amazing. But Goggins is a pretty remarkable story, and I love... His perspective about like just going after what you want and being relentless man like it's not there's no starter end line it's like it's, it's always and it's relentless and a bit tiresome but like it's that's the mindset you're going to take on board to always be pushing like Goggins is a, is a force of nature and uh so same with Jocko willing is pretty respectful as well so it's pretty remarkable but thank you for that question ben. that's a good question
0: yeah thanks for those uh, thoughts there dan so one other piece that like you've talked about and a the theme that you've talked about in other podcasts is the aspect of gratitude. And I always want to end off a podcast, you know, asking about gratitude, asking what my guests are grateful for. And I wonder if you can just touch a little bit about that and also tell me, what are you most grateful for in life?
1: I think um, this goes back to the brain injury. I was working in Hootsuite. Hootsuite was phenomenal during this process. Like they were so commendable, you know, they gave me uh, a care package for my parents, you know, they paid me the whole process, had a basket of food ready for me. My mom often says the doctor saved my life, but Hootsuite allowed me to get my life back. And I want to say thank you to Hootsuite. They've done phenomenal by me. Even though I was let go from that company last autumn, Part of a corporate restructuring that saw 400 people lose their jobs. I was on the wrong side of the spreadsheet. got let go. But now I'm a speaker because of that. Now I'm chasing out my dream because of that. I had a life to go back to because of Hootsuite. I'm internally grateful for what they've done for me, my family. When I was there, I was trying to pay back the company tenfold for what they did for me. I didn't get my way to tenfold, but I was honestly trying to make it back there and make it pay back pay him back. But it's uh, gratitude fills me up when I think of that company. And I was always love Hootsuite, so big things are coming ahead for them. That, that's what fills me with gratitude. Just, just you know, look after me, take care of me, and I got your back, man. i I've ride with you forever, man. That's cool.
0: Those are great words there, Dan. So looking ahead here, uh, what are you most looking forward to in the future?
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the autumn. We're in the autumn now in Vancouver, as I'm sure you're aware. It's quite rainy today. But I've got a good number of gigs coming up, and I'm joining a bureau or two this autumn, which is pretty exciting for me as a speaker. A bureau is how you book speakers as a, as a company. You go to a bureau and you go, you want to speak on resilience," and they'll show you four or five people. And my video will be up there, and you can pick me if you want from certain bureaus. I'll have a post on that in the next few few days on LinkedIn. But I got some gigs coming up now, which is pretty exciting for for the autumn. And it's a very much a make or break kind of quarter for me. I got to really smash this autumn. You're working so hard to get the deals in place now It's tell me to deliver the deals to kind of shine through with my perspective, my, my mindset, my my heart, my drive. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, if anyone's interested in hearing me speak, I've got a website, mcqueendan.com, which will be in the show notes, M-A-C-Q-U-E-E-N, dan.com. So I'm most excited for that, Ben.
0: Excellent. So yeah, that was going to be my next question, Dan. So you covered that. We wanted to know where we could find you on the internet. So you got your website there. And like, and like you said, we're going to make sure that those details are in our show notes. So that's a wrap for episode 23. If you like this podcast, please give it a thumbs up or hit the subscribe button below. If you didn't like this podcast, give it a thumbs down, but please do tell us why with a comment below. If you have any other comments, feedback, or suggestions, you know what to do. Thanks for joining us, and namaste, everyone.